0: This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can. Is God real? stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? Uh, But there's a whole lot of pragmatic, common sense stuff in James that can be beneficial uh, to the church, both the the first century church to whom the letter was written and to us today. Uh, As we come to the end of uh, James, it's important for us to note that he ends uh, along the same theme that he started. Uh, the, the, the predominant thing that James kept talking about uh, throughout this letter is uh, be careful about what you say. Use your tongue wisely. Let, let, let's do a little bit of review. We're going we're to get to James chapter 5. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 19, reading from the message version, it says, post this at all the intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue. Let anger straggle along in the rear. Flip over to chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 17. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend, dressed in rags and half-starved, and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Flip over to chapter three. Starting with verse 1, don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of his life. Skip over to verse 7. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. Skip over to chapter four, starting with verse one. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and you will risk violence to get your hands on it. You wouldn't think of just asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. Your spoiled children. Wanting your own way. Skip over to verse 11. Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule that takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are? to meddle in the destiny of others. You get the idea? Over and over and over and over again, James says, watch what you say. Be careful about how you talk because your conversation is a (coughs) reflection of where your heart really is. And so if, 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 if your heart is not right, It's going to come out sooner or later. Here's the thing, you can cover it up for a while. All of us know folk who can cover it up for a while and some of us are better at covering it up than others. Amen. But after a while, it comes out. Given the right set of circumstances, it comes out. So that's what he has said in chapters one, two, three, and four, and I remind you, James didn't write this thing in chapters, he just wrote. Later editors came along and and they broke it down into chapters. But a recurring theme throughout his letter is watch what you say. Watch your tongue. Be careful of your tongue. Make sure that what you're saying lines up with the life that you're trying to lead, the Christian life that you have professed you are trying to lead. Well, now we get to chapter 5. And in chapter 5... James contrasts the words of some in this life with their weeping and wailing in the day of judgment. We we, we actually can break James chapter 5 down into three large sections. Verses 1 through 6 deals with the abuse of the wealthy over the poor and the marginalized. Is that not a pragmatic thing for what's going on? right now. In, chap- in verses 7 through 12, he warns against grumbling and swearing. And, and finally, in verses 13 through 18, he talks about engaging in confession and prayer as better uses of the tongue than what you're currently doing. Then he ends with, ver- with verses 19 and 20, which talk about how to help a brother uh, who is trying to find the way in Christ. So let's break this down into these sections. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. And a final word to you arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets for the tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt and your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment. All the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you use and abuse are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up but all you'll have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. Now, let's be clear. This is not a general indictment of wealth. I, I want us to be clear on that. Because everybody in here wants to be wealthy, and that's why y'all go buy them Powerball tickets, right? Everybody in here wants, wants, wants to be wealthy. This is not a general indictment of wealth. This is an indictment of how people acquire wealth and what they do with the wealth once they acquire it. Not very different than than what Jesus says when he talks about it's easier for a, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wasn't condemning wealth. He was condemning the fact that wealthy folk tend to rely more on their wealth than they do on God. It is always a mistake when we confuse the blessing with the blesser. We want God to bless us and we thank God every time he does bless us, but don't ever get the blessing confused with the blesser. And that's what James says has happened here. You have confused one with the other. Now, he's talking about why the wicked rich are condemned and he gives us three reasons in in these verses he gives us three reasons reason number one he says they have obtained their wealth by means of injustice they have increased their profits by refusing to pay their laborers in a fair and timely fashion They have used the fact that they are wealthy to decide that they're going to misuse those who are not. In other words, it's exploitation. I'm using what what I have in order to abuse others. And James wants us to understand that when we do this, It is contrary to the will of God. And they do it because they know they can get away with it. Much like a president who, before he was president, would, would, would contract with people to provide services and then not pay them for the services that they provided, and when they complained about it, he, he cavalierly said, well, take me to court. Funny thing is, you don't have to go to Washington to find folk like that. There's some folk like that right here, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We have to be careful. now. Now. One of the points that James wants to make here is that in doing this, they are not only being unfair to people, but they're actually breaking the law of the Lord that they profess to love and care about. Ancient Hebrew law was very clear on this matter. And made it known that when you do this, you are actually brushing God's word aside. You're saying that I'm going to do what I want to do rather than what God would have me to do. When you do this, James says you are committing a sin and you are exploiting people simply because you know you can Turning your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 11. we We're gonna look at a few passages in Proverbs. Start with verse four. A thick bankroll is no help when life falls apart, but a principled life can stand up to the worst. Moral character makes for smooth traveling and evil life is a hard life. Good character is the best insurance. Crooks get trapped in their sinful lust. Skip over to verse 28. A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A God shaped life is a flourishing tree. Jump over to chapter 18, still in Proverbs. Look at verse 11 of chapter 18. The rich think their wealth protects them. They imagine themselves safe behind it. Pride first, then the crash, but humility is precursor to honor. Jump over to chapter 22. Look at verse 16. Exploit the poor or glad hand the rich, whichever you'll end up the poorer for it. I could go on, but I think I've made James's point. It ain't my point, it's James's point. The indictment is not against wealth. The indictment is against what we do with the wealth that we have. Point number two, the wicked rich have used their wealth only to indulge their own desires. If you flip back to James chapter 4, which we read just a minute ago about the tongue. In James chapter 4, verse 1, and those following, James warns against the obsession of satisfying your own desires. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. The the wicked rich, as James describes them, are those who have a desire only for themselves. And here's the problem with that. If, if you are among the wicked rich, your problem is that you ain't never happy. You acquire more and more stuff, but you ain't never happy with what you got. Still got one more to get. Still got to get that. Still have to have that. And, and, and it's all, are you all familiar with the story of, of Jezebel and Naboth in the Old Testament? Jezebel was married to Ahab. She was queen of, uh, of Judah. And, and uh, Naboth had a vineyard. Jezebel is the queen. She has riches beyond compare. Naboth has one little vineyard. And Jezebel ain't happy with all that she's got. She conspires to have Naboth killed so that she could take his vineyard. Well, did I have to go to Jezebel? Let's talk about David for a second. David was king. David had a bunch of wives already, but he looked out one day and he saw a pretty woman bathing herself on the balcony. And and David decided, in spite of all the other stuff I got, I want her, brought her, had her, sent her home, only to find out she got pregnant. And then he had to figure out how to cover up what he did brought her her, her husband worked for him yes he did in his private army you know David had two armies he had he had the official military army of Israel but David also had his own private army and Uriah worked in the, in his private army and he sends for Uriah to come home. And, and, and his, his plot is, if I can just get him to go home and lay with, with, with Bathsheba, then once the baby comes, nobody will know whose baby it is. But Uriah was so honorable. Uriah said, I can't go home and enjoy my wife while my comrades in arms are still on the battlefield. I refuse to do it. And, and, and he slept at the city gate at night, wouldn't go home. David said, all right, I gave you your shot. You wouldn't take it. Sent him back with sealed orders. Sealed orders condemning his own faith. I can imagine when, 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 the, when the general opened up the orders and looked at him, he looked at the orders and then looked at Uriah and then looked at the orders again and then looked at Uriah and he's probably saying, he didn't open this, did he? He didn't see what was in him. Uriah is killed and he, he brings the widow into the palace to console her and comfort her. Taking the little that somebody else has, because you're never satisfied with what you got. James says, the problem with the wicked rich is that you're never satisfied. You're always trying to indulge the next thing that you want. And it's a sign that you are being guided by a demonic spirit and not the Holy Spirit. Then the third thing he says, Is that the wicked rich use their power to condemn and to kill the righteous who do not resist them. They will not resist what is being done. In other words, we know that what you're doing is wrong. Look look at verse 6. You looted the earth and lived it up, but all you'll have to show for it is a fatter-than-usual corpse. In fact, what you've done is condemn and murder perfectly good persons who stand there and take it. James says that those who have misused their wealth have done so against those who are too honorable and too committed to God to lift a finger in their own defense. They're willing to let you misuse them rather than to stand up for themselves. James says, y'all got a problem and it's going to come back and it's going to destroy you. The judgment, he says, is terrible. The wealth that you have will not endure. Well, life tells you that. I don't care how much you got. Somebody else is going to have it in a minute. One way or the other. Somebody else is going to have it in a minute. Then he says that your elegant clothing, all that stuff you paid all that money for, is going to become moth-eaten and torn up. And then he says that the silver and the gold is going to rust. Well, now, when he talks like that, he sounds like somebody we know, doesn't he? You're supposed to say, yeah. (laughs) He sounds like somebody we know. Yeah, okay, all right. Act like you're paying attention even if you're not. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, starting with verse 19. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with delight. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at meal times, or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen don't you think he'll attend to you take pride in you do his best for you what i'm trying to do here is get you to relax to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to god's giving People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. James sounds a whole lot
1: like Jesus.
0: Our concern should not be about material things. Our concern should be about spiritual things. And where we are not concerned about spiritual things, it's an indication that another power, another spirit is in control of us and not the Holy Spirit. Once again, let's be clear. Nothing wrong with having wealth. If the Lord has blessed you to... Y'all work hard. Some of y'all, well, most of y'all in here retired now. Uh, But but, but when you worked, you worked hard. You worked hard and you saved and you put your money away and God has blessed you to be able to do all the stuff that you do. Some of y'all are taking care of the next generation and the generation beyond that because they ain't taking care of themselves. Amen. Amen. You ain't going to say it, I'll say it for you. Nothing wrong with that. Just don't get caught up in the stuff. That's all James is saying. Don't get caught up in the stuff. And for God's sake, don't abuse other folk so that you can get more stuff and take away the little stuff that the other folk have. Terrible thing when you do that. And he says, you you should not allow yourselves to get caught up in that. I want to remind you of this too. He ain't talking to unsaved folk. No, no. This this ain't a revival, sermon. This this ain't a doors of the church are open, He's talking to church folk. He's saying, have you forgotten what the Lord has delivered you from and what the Lord has delivered you to? And have you allowed yourself to fall back into the same bad habits that you were delivered from? You know, when, when, when emancipation first took place, uh, some folk, some, 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 newly freed slaves decided to stay on the plantation because they thought that life was better on the plantation than it was being free and we read that in history books and and we say oh how sad that, 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 that they had been given their freedom and they didn't know what to do with it well let me put that on you oh how sad that God has freed you from the fetters of want and desire and materialism. He who the Son hath set free is free indeed. The whole book of Galatians is written by Paul to say to folk who have been free, why you want to go back under the, the, the same hindrances that Jesus has freed you? From. Essentially, James is saying the same thing. You were freed from materialism. You were freed from, from, from concern about where stuff was going to come from. You were freed from any worry about what you were going to put on and how you were going to get there. You were freed from all of that. And you have voluntarily subjected yourself back to the very things that God has freed you from. And worse, You're hurting other folk in the process. It's bad to hurt yourself. It's positively tragic to hurt other folk in the process of trying to gain for yourself. James said, you ought to cut that stuff out. Stop it. Stop it, church folk. Stop doing that. That ain't all you got to say. Verse 7. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, don't complain about each other. A far greater complaint could be lodged against you, you know. The judge is standing just around the corner take the old prophets as your mentors they put up with anything went through everything and never once quit all the time honoring God what a gift life is to those who stay the course you've heard of course of Job's staying power and you know how God brought it all together for him at the end that's because God cares cares right down to the last detail, and since you know that he cares, let your language show it back to the tongue. Don't add words like I swear to God to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. All right, y'all didn't get it the first time, so you, here's your chance. To, sounds like somebody we know, doesn't it? Yes. Thank you. At least Paula got it right that time. <laughs> sounds like somebody we know, doesn't it? Yes. Turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 33. Again, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it, or saying God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace and making your speech sound more religious. It becomes less true. Just say yes or no. And when you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Sounds like James is learning from Big Brother all the time. It's it's almost exactly the same thought. Number one, stop grumbling. Now, now, don't take it for granted that he talks about grumbling right after he talks about rich folk. That ain't by accident. What he's saying is rich folk, comfortable folk, do more grumbling than anybody else. It ain't accidental that he ties stop complaining to stop abusing poor folk so that you can get richer. Anybody know folk who, who who just have an abundance of stuff but ain't never happy with what they got? Yeah. I, I, Fred and I went to Baton Rouge High together. He was a year behind me, but we, we had one or two classes together, as I recall. It used to always bother me that he'd score a 98 and get mad about the two points that he didn't get. <laughs> while the rest of us were pulling 80 and 85, hoping that the curve would get us over the hump. Never seemed quite right that, 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 that those who did the best would complain the most about the one or two that, doggone it, I knew the answer, no, just shut up. <laughs> Don't say nothing. There's a reason why James ties this with, with 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 wealth, he's saying that those who have the most, the ones who do the most complaining, I'm taking this new car back because the window doesn't roll down the way it's supposed to. I have to press the button two times before the window goes down. It just shouldn't be that. Now some folk driving a 15 year old car that they pray starts when they go out there and you complaining because the window doesn't go down as fast as you want it to. Y'all know folk like that? Stop complaining all the time. Stop pointing, he, he goes on, stop pointing fingers of accusation at other folk like you're their judge. Like, like you are in a position to tell other folk how they ought to live. Now, I know that, 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 that some of us think that because we have achieved certain things in life or because we have reached a certain age in life, that life gives us a, 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 a pass, permission to say things to other folk. Here's the thing, if they don't ask you nothing, don't tell them nothing. I told y'all a couple weeks ago, some folk just want to be heard. If, if somebody is venting to you, but they don't ask you no questions, don't give them no answers. Just let them vent. If they don't say stuff like, what would you do? Then don't tell them, child, this is what I would do. They didn't ask you that. They don't want to know. You don't don't get to tell somebody else how to live their life. And by the way, what worked in your house doesn't necessarily work in somebody else's house. If I really wanted to get rich, I'd write a book on how to have a happy marriage. Y'all buy them books, 1995, 29 I, 95 I'd write a book on how to have a happy marriage. It wouldn't take me but about 10 seconds to write it. Because on page one, it would say, do what works for you all. And all the other 250 pages, would be blank. I'm making a point. Can't nobody tell you how to have a happy marriage. What works in one marriage doesn't work in another. And and, 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 and it, it's always amusing to me that, 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 that folk want to tell other folk how to have a happy marriage. Give it time. I've lived long enough to see this now. Give it time. Some of the ones who telling you not how to have a happy marriage, five years, seven years, ten years, three months. They're going to be in divorce court. And you're going to read and your eyes are going to get big and you're going to say, oh, they was just trying to tell me. This ain't a marriage counseling class, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point. Quit trying to tell other folk how to live their lives. Find the path that works For you. If somebody asks you a question, give them an answer. But respect them enough that if they don't ask, don't offer up what they didn't ask for. He says, be careful about judging other folks' lives. And then he throws God in the picture. He says, there is another judge who could judge you yeah. while you judging other folk. There you go. Sounds like somebody I know. Y'all still ain't got it. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Somebody said, yeah, thank you. <laughs> sounds like somebody I know. Yeah. Turn back to Matthew. Yeah. It's amazing how much James sounds like his big brother. Look at Matthew chapter seven, starting with verse one. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? Is this whole traveling road show mentality all over again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part? Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. At least James was listening. I wonder if some of us are really listening. We're so quick to be judgmental of other folk. And I'm as guilty of this as in case you think I'm, I ain't talking about myself. I'm as guilty of this as anybody else. But I'm so grateful that the Lord has let me live a little bit. My mama used to say all the time, "Just keep getting up in the morning. Just keep getting up in the morning." And and and, and whenever I'd say, "Well, it ought to be like this," life is not black and white. There are a million shades of gray. Some of us are living in the gray. Amen. Amen. Y'all, y'all, y- y'all know in them westerns where, where the good guy wore the white hat and the bad guy wore the black hat? I don't know too many of y'all who can wear white hats. And I know I can't wear one either there's some sketchy places in my background where I thought I could wear the white hat only to have it knocked off. And when I reached down to pick it up, somebody stomped on it, rubbed their feet on it. By the time I picked it up again, it wasn't white no more. Had spots all over it. Quit thinking you can tell other folk how to live their life. You want to help your brother or sister, pray for them. You want to help a brother or sister, listen to them. And I know I'm repeating what I said a couple of weeks ago and I might have said it once already today. Don't just wait for them to stop talking so that you can throw in what you want to say. That ain't listening. Some folk just waiting for you to run out of breath. And if you take too long a pause, they're ready to jump in. And you ain't finished talking yet. Be a good listener. People, people need to be heard. And people need to be heard by folks who ain't going to go out and tell everybody else what they just heard. Okay, baby, I'll talk to you soon and I'm praying for you. And as soon as you click that one off, you pick up the phone. Speed dial number seven. Child, I just got off the phone with so-and-so. Let me tell you what's going on. People need to be heard by somebody who will just hear them and keep it to themselves. And if it comes back to you from another source, act like you didn't hear it before. Really? That's right. I didn't know. Yeah. Stop being so judgmental in other folks' lives. Stop complaining about what you don't have. Just let your yes be yes. And you know, I swear by all that's holy. That don't make it holy. No. Those are just breaths you ain't gonna get back at the end of your life. Last thing, cause I'm running out of time, got 12 minutes. Are you hurting? Pray. Do you feel great? Sing. Are you sick? Call the church readers together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. Believing prayer will heal you and Jesus will put you on your feet. And if you've sinned, you'll be forgiven, healed inside and out. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Elijah, for instance, human just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. Not a drop for three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain and it did. The showers came and everything started growing again. Let's take it one piece at a time. If you're hurting, pray. If you feel great, sing. If you're sick and you can't pray, call for somebody else to come together and pray with you and for you. And let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Mass. Now, let me get on the oil thing right quick and get that out the way. Okay. Nothing wrong with oil, nothing wrong with oil, but don't think that you have to have oil for folk to pray for you. Why does he say anoint with oil? Because in the time in which he lived, the oil was more pure than the water. It's exactly the same reason why G- uh, Paul says, if your stomach is bothering you, drink some wine. I'm just following the scripture. The scripture said, drink some wine. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but Paul said drink wine because the wine was more pure than the water. There was no filtration system for the water at that time. There were creeks and there were streams and there were wells, and that's all that there was. And so often the water was more contaminated than the, so so if you took a sponge of water and put it on your body, you were actually pressing contaminants into your body. If you got a bellyache, and you drink water to try to get rid of the bellyache, you might be taking in stuff that will make your bellyache worse. So Paul says, if your stomach hurts, drink some wine. And James says, if your body hurts, put some oil on it. But don't get caught up in the oil. If you have it and if you want to use it, God bless you. But you do know that you can pray without oil and God will hear your prayer without the oil. The key ain't the oil. The key is the prayer. Did you hear that? Y'all get that on TV? How how, how y'all doing today? I ain't talking to y'all all all day today. The key is not the oil. The The key is the prayer. The key is, After he's told us what not to do with our tongues, what not to do with our mouths, James spends a little time telling us what you can do with your mouth. If if you're in trouble, pray. Don't run to to, to whoever, pray. You ain't got to run nowhere to pray. You can pray right where you are. You can drop your head right where you are and you can pray. And it ain't got to be, oh God, I hope in ages past and I hope for years. (laughs) Lord, help is a prayer. Jesus, have mercy is a prayer. And and, and if you can't get Jesus out, just say have mercy. And if you can't get have mercy, I'll just say have mercy. Make it all one word. That's a prayer. (laughs) He says, if you're in trouble, pray. He says, if you're happy, sing. It's it's not a bad thing to be happy. It's not a bad thing to to feel good. And nobody should make you feel bad because you feel good. (laughs) Miserable folk want you to feel miserable with them. He says sing because he wants you to remember where your good feeling came from because it didn't come from you. It came from the benevolence of God who allowed it to happen. If you're sick, call for others to come pray with you and for you that you might be healed. Recognizing that healing is not just an outside in thing but it's also an inside-out thing. Not every physical ailment has a spiritual source, but many of our physical ailments start with spiritual problems. We, 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 we do things we know we ain't got no business doing, we say things we know we ain't got no business saying, we think things we know we ain't got no business thinking. And the body is an interesting thing. The the various aspects of our person are not separated from one another. They're all mutually exclusive. You don't think so? Stub your toe. Stub your baby toe. And then go run a marathon. Let me see how far you get. Ain't gonna happen. You gonna have you stub your baby toe. You're gonna have to sit down for a second. Bite your tongue! Yes. You ever been chewing on a piece of meat and your tongue got in the way? Bite on it. Watch what happens. Tongue, tongue. To, you, you big old you. You bite your tongue. To what, big old you gonna have to go sit down. So, baby, I'm going to lay down. I don't feel good. our person is, 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 is interrelated to one another and quite often spiritual problems reveal themselves in physical maladies headaches that won't go away you lay down to sleep and sleep just won't come and so, and, and so James says let them pray for you and you pray for yourself And the healing will come. And it won't just be an outside in thing, it'll be an inside out thing. And you'll be better as a result. One more thing, four minutes. Confess your sins to each other. Did you see that? It does not say, go tell everybody else what you did. Confess your sins to each other. Which means that if I have wronged you, I need to go to you. Sounds like somebody else I know, doesn't it? Thank you. Somebody, somebody finally got it. First time out. Turning your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 5. Boy, there's a lot in that Sermon on the Mount if you take the time to, to read it. Start with verse 23. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make the first move. Make the first move. Make the first. I'll wait for them to come to me. Make the first move make things right with him after all if you leave the first move to him knowing his track record you're likely to end up in court maybe even in jail if that happens you won't get out without a stiff fine boy james learned from jesus let me ask y'all a question have y'all learned from jesus Because I can sit here and read this to you and and do all this that I do to try to keep your attention for 60 minutes. It don't mean nothing if you ain't taking it into your heart. You're gonna walk up to me and you're gonna say, that was good, Pastor. you're gonna go right back out and do the same old mess you were doing. You gotta take it into your heart. And let me tell you something. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. It's going to come to a moment when everything that you've been taught is going to run up against everything that you feel like doing. And when that happens, make sure that what you were taught prevails over what you feel like. Moses did what he felt like and missed out on the promised land. It's a doggone shame to get so close to the end and fall down. God told Moses, I swear when I get to heaven, we're going to have a conversation about this. God told Moses, you can go up on a hill and you can look over there at it, but you can't go in. You want to get that close? do, 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 Do you want to be able to see it and still can't get there? Don't let what you feel like doing overrule what you've been taught to do. Love your enemy ain't what you feel like, but it's what you've been taught. Bless those who curse ain't what you feel like, but it's what you've been taught. Pray for them that use you and persecute you is not what you feel like, but it's what you have been taught. Turning the other cheek is what you have been taught. Going the second mile is what you have been taught. Don't let what you feel like doing. That was for me. Let's stand together, please.